If you have a Bible with you, you might like to turn to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2. Turn to Acts chapter 2, verse 42. So what we're going to do, so that you know what's happening, because it's a bit different this morning, is that we're going to look at God's word together for a moment or two. The subject that I'm taking in Acts is they broke bread together. And then we're going to actually do that. We're going to take communion together. That's why we're seated in a different way this morning to help enhance and we'll, I'll explain as we go on. And then we'll worship as well. The worship team are going to come back and out of communion, we're going to continue to worship. Okay. So if you turn to Acts 2, and it reads like this, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, it's verse 42, and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer and everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles says they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching to the fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer so I'm looking at a series that when I'm speaking in the mornings, the series is entitled e- Ecclesia, and we're looking at the church. What is church? Church for the 21st century. First century uh, values with a 21st century set, sense of vigor. And uh, it's that that we're looking at, and we're looking at this particular chapter, Acts 2, and going through it and looking at that together. So I've been looking at what is the local church, and a man called Bill Hybels has said this, that he believes that the local church is the hope of the world. It's the hope for our very world, the local church. The local church isn't dead. It's, it's not buried. It shouldn't be. It should actually be the hope of the world. I believe that. I think they're amazing words. And uh, I, he said that, and I believe that, because it's part of God's plan. God's plan and purpose, we've understood so far, is wrapped up in people, not programs as such. God's plan, God's plan for life and his purpose for the world is wrapped up in you and me. So much so, it's modeled in his son. God wraps himself in his son, the very God. To be Emmanuel means to be amongst, with, tangibly amongst us. And so we're understanding that. And so the church is people. It's you and me. And the church is called those people, called out, gathered together to to take his news to the whole world. And so we've been looking at this together, and I've spent some time on that. And so in that, we've then began to unfold this chapter, um, looking at the apostles' doctrine. We've discovered that the early church were both people of word and spirit. They weren't mutually exclusive. They weren't a group that said, well, we follow the Holy Spirit, we're charismatic people. Oh, no, we're evangelicals, we really hold to the word. You know, we're not flaky and, and, and weird like you, Pentecostal charismatics. And, and they were both, they, they, were, they weren't both weird and uh, evangelical, but they were both word and spirit people. And we see this, that they, they said they, they loved the apostles' doctrine. And we looked at what that meant. And the man called C.H. Spurgeon uh, I've talked about this a little, but when his church was growing and in the, the era that his church was growing, some churches were in decline and uh, humanism was at the fore, lots of new scientific discoveries, uh, Darwinian evolutionism um, being uh, propounded. And um, 
people were saying, what do we do, Mr. Spurgeon? What do we do, Pastor Spurgeon? You know, um, the, the church is being shaken. And he said, what you need to go and do is uncage the lion. The word of God is like a lion. Go and uncage the word. Uncage the lion. It was one of the themes for spring harvest in the mid-80s, mid, uh, mid to late 80s. Uncage the lion was one of the main themes. It's all about getting back to the word and releasing the word. And so we found that the early church were people of the word and people of the spirit. We'll discover that in the next few weeks. And then we looked at this area of fellowship. It says they would devote themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. And we un- we've understood that fellowship is more than just like sitting around together and having a cup of tea, maybe even being in the same building, but it had a more of an understanding of union, communion. When we have what we call the breaking of bread, which we're going to do a bit later, uh, we call it, we're going to take communion. And the, the meaning of communion is to be entwined with, involved with, in, in union with. It has a much more an idea of, of friendship and intimacy and involvement And um, so the early church were given to being involved in each other's lives, not interfering in each other's lives. There's a difference between being interfering and involved. And so we see this. And there was a level of friendship and intimacy amongst believers that many people crave today in the church, in our society. We've got many great programs. We've got great facilities. But we also need to also have a great heart uh, 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 there's a now more of a talk on church health rather than church growth, the health of the heart of the church. And we see here a very heart, healthy church in that they were involved and we've been discovering this and looking at this. Rather than being independent, they were interdependent. Rather than being isolated, they were involved. Being interdependent, involved. These are words of intimacy. And so they were a relational people. And Christianity is a relational faith. This is why, you know, you can't just sit at home and be a Christian. Somebody says, I can sit at home and be a Christian. Well, well, yes, you could. But then I would say, but no, you can't. Yes, you could be a Christian. And I'm sure God looks at you and loves you just as much as he loves anyone else as a Christian. But to really reach the fullness of experience of the Christian faith, you need to be amongst others. Why? Because why that's what Jesus modeled. Jesus actually got amongst us at Christmas time. We love and sing the great songs about Emmanuel. We're all fluffy and cuddly and we love this lovely baby. Uh, But God comes amongst us and our faith is relational. It's amongst, it's fleshed out. And so this is what we've been looking at, the depth of fellowship. So this morning, it says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine, to fellowship and the breaking of bread and to prayer. So let's look at this breaking of bread thing for a moment or two. Some of it we'll understand, we'll hold to already. Other aspects of this morning may refresh our hearts, and that's the hope and prayer for this morning. So just for a few minutes then. So breaking of bread, what's it all about? And uh, what we do today, how does it relate to what they did then? And the backdrop of what they were doing at the time. You know, Christianity, our faith, comes out of the East. The Middle East. Israel, Jesus was Jew, comes from a Semitic background, okay? And in Eastern culture, um, relationship, family, is so important. Being related in family, being amongst, being joined with people, others, is so important. 
I can sort of identify with this. I speak about this quite a lot. My Italian background, it's about family. It's about big family. It's about big family getting together family. And um, when we first went to Italy and uh, uh, Helen, we went over to Italy. I remember our first time. It was such a culture shock. I mean, I was a bit shocked, but I knew roughly what to expect. But when um, Helen went there, it was a big shock to see everybody like there and just looking at us and watching us eat and saying, right, eat, eat, you know. But they all get together. It's all around a meal. They all love to be together. They all talk. It's the children are playing. Everybody's a buzz. It's, it's chaotic, but it's amazing. And everyone's around, and there's a real sense of friends, family. Anybody can come in there. And Eastern culture would have been very much, if you've been in Eastern culture, um, if, if you've um, lived in an Eastern culture, it's, it's very much you're made to feel welcome as a guest. Guests are important. Your table is always ready. You'll always be ready to serve. Um, always ready to, to invite someone in. Anyone that calls, it, it's, it's that type of culture, the Eastern culture. Now, our faith comes out of that culture, reflected. But it's a reflection of the family of God, God culture. Not just an Eastern culture. Our Christian faith isn't just an Eastern culture that comes out of the East, but it's a God culture. And a God culture, the culture of God, is the family of God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And that word there that says with means moving towards, in relationship with. And so we find in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, there's this unity and family, and you and I are sons and daughters of God. We've been adopted into the family of God. So it's family talk, and Eastern culture reflects God culture as well, quite, quite, quite a lot. I'm not, you know, okay. So enough said on that, as it were, to sort of set the scene. But this is very important when we come to take communion, and the way that Jesus shared the communion Because into this type of culture, God culture and Eastern culture, that Jesus shares an amazing revelation of himself. And it's really for us to try and get back to that root, as it were. So food and hospitality in the East is amazing. It's big. It's everything. And uh, I identify, sort of can I identify with that. And um, People were always prepared to entertain. Strangers were considered to be almost like gods. It says in the, in the Old Testament, in the Bible, about visitors could be angels. And in Eastern culture, you, could, you always entertain strangers because it could be angels sent your way. The gods came to you. So in Eastern culture, there's a huge thing about entertain, uh, hospitality, be ready to serve, open table, come on in, come and join us, let me serve you, I want to look after you, you're in my family. This is a big thing, and this is the background that Jesus came out of. Um, even enemies would be entertained at your table and treated with great honor. It's better to actually have your enemies at your table because then you know in from an Eastern culture what they're doing, what they're planning, and you look after them and you entertain them and you give them the very best. Wow, amazing. Jesus and Judas Iscariot. So there's this idea of honor and friendship, relationship around the table, uh, food, eating together. And um, in Eastern culture, you know, the sort of diet would have been big on bread. 
<laughs> They're big on, on bread and soups, pulses, veg. They would have had meat, but not often. You know, the people like you and I, general public, didn't have meat all the time. Now and again, so special occasions perhaps, only the, the more wealthy had meat, you know, nice banqueting table. So for, for Joe Public, it would have been pulses, soups, veg, b- bread. And you can imagine the sort of bread it would have been, you know, these sort of like, not nice little white loaf pre-packed. Um, and then, um, you know, but it would <laughs> big loaf of bread that you can sort of rip apart sort of thing. You have to get hold of it and rip. And so when Jesus was at the communion table, ripping apart the bread as it were, a large, a large type of flat type of loaf. It's that type of idea. And um, no utensils uh, as such. So if you've been in an, in an environment that eats with their hands, if you go to India, everybody eats with their hands. Well, what do you do? Everything's served on a banana leaf. Eating with my hands. I had the shock of my life. I was sort of slightly prepared. But you learn quickly the way they, the Indians mix everything and scoop it up. And then there's a way they scoop and then they eat and they're able to do it. And that, it's amazing to watch. It's amazing. You soon pick it up. But in the, in the sort of um, Palestine culture, often the bread would be used a bit like a utensil. It's a large piece of bread. This is very important with the communion. It was a large piece of bread they tore. And they would use it a bit like a utensil and scoop their food and, and eat it off the bread. And um, to be offered to dip your bread in, the, in the, the bowl or the bowl of gruel or whatever it was, or soup, was a high honor. You only have the tastiest part, the, called the sop, to dip and to dip your bread in was, would have been a big deal, a big high honor. And so you can sort of get a sort of a, a picture of what it would have been uh, uh, like. So meals, meal times were community, unity, family, friendship, life. It wasn't just a, a meal that you, you ate. And you, you, you talked to each other. You looked at each other. You faced, you talked. You, it wasn't that you'd watch the telly and have it balanced on your lap and somebody be in their room upstairs and another be in that room. People would be around together. It, it was more than food, put it that way. It was life. And um, it was into that sort of atmosphere and culture that Jesus was sharing at a meal. So visitors treated as part of the family. The guests had all the benefits of the, the host. So if you were a guest, you were treated like the family. And you had all the benefits of that house. And if that house was attacked, then you would be protected as much as any of the family member would be protected. Remember, it was a, a, a nomadic type of lifestyle. Or, and life was more chaotic than dangerous than it is for you and I today. So you had all the benefits were offered you. So it wasn't just food. It was life. It was family. It was the benefits of that family. Everything was given to you and you were looked after. Even if it was just a visiting guest, it was quite spectacular. And that's the type of culture. And it's into that background that Jesus shares a revelation of himself at a meal. It's called the Passover meal. It was at a meal that Jesus sat and he really tore off a big piece of bread. Maybe not quite that big, but you know. And they were dipping and they were reclining and talking and eating and laughing and and life, and all the benefits, and sharing together. It was a big meal. 
And it's into that that Jesus said, you know, I'm not going to be with you much longer. Take, this is my body. And he began to break. It was into that background, that environment, that, that life. This, this wine, this is my blood that's poured out for you. Community, family, friendship. The family benefits. But this isn't just family benefits. He was sharing eternal benefits. Can you picture this now? You treated your enemies with high honor. And there's Judas Iscariot there, dipping. And yet all the benefits of heaven. He was sharing eternal benefit of life, life forevermore. This is my body broken for you. This is my blood that will be poured out for you. It's spectacular. It's amazing. The broken bread representing his body. The poured out wine representing his blood. This was a, not just any meal. This was a meal, and every meal was a big thing in Eastern culture. But this was the Passover meal. This was a meal that in the Jewish calendar celebrated the time when the Israelite people, under Egyptian bondage, uh, when they s- uh, slew the, um, pass- the spotless lamb, they then took the blood from that lamb, and they put it over the doorposts of every Israelite house. And God said, when the angel of death comes on Egypt... Wherever the angel sees the blood, he will pass over. You will, be, you will be freed. But where there is no blood, the firstborn will be taken. And on that night, when the angel of death came upon the whole of Egypt, it says there that where they sprinkled the blood from the spotless lamb that was slain, the angel of death passed over. And Jesus was saying then that I am your Passover. I am the lamb. So in this meal, which was more than just a general meal, the special Passover meal, had even double, triple, quadruple significance to them on that evening, on that day, as they shared together. This was so symbolic and yet spiritual significance by faith. The idea is being in communion. You know, when you had a meal, you were in communion. You were friends. You were in union together. So this gives the understanding of let's take communion to another level. We're entering into union with Christ. Folks, this is amazing. In the meal and the meal time, they entered into union with Christ. But not only just union with Christ, but union with each other. They became a band of friends, a band of brothers. They were looking at each other. They were taking this together, smiling, crying. One person thinking, I'm doing a bad deed. I need to get out of here. Um, this, they were seeing each other. They were in union. They were in communion with each other. You know, when we take the bread and we drink of the cup and we take this meal together, we do three things. We look back, we look up, and we look forward. Three significant things. We look back. It's a memorial. We remember Christ died for us. It's looking back. Every time we take this meal... We look back and say, thank you, Lord Jesus. You went to the cross. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You died in my place. You paid the price. We look back. But also we look up. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you rose again. And today I can look to you in heaven. But I can look to you also on earth here today. We look up. We don't just look back and think it's not just a memorial. This is a remembrance We look back, yes, but we look up because Jesus is alive today. Alive in our hearts, alive here, alive. We look up. We can look towards him. 
But not only do you look back, we look up. There's amazing possibilities and what we have in our hearts and lives. But we look forward because we look forward to Jesus coming back again. Jesus says, look forward. Do this in remembrance of me. He said, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until I see you again. He's coming back for us, folks. Jesus will return a second time. It's called the second coming of Christ. Um, He's coming back for us. So we look forward to being with him, being like him. And if he comes, he says he can come back in a twinkling of an eye. So be prepared, be ready. So every time we take this meal, this feast together, we look back, we say thank you that you died for us. We look up and say thank you that you're risen and alive for us. We look forward and say thank you, you're coming back for us. And this earth is not doomed. It's destined to have a new heaven and a new earth. Thank God. Eternal, eternal benefits. Remember, when you take the meal, you're invited to the banquet, you all have all of the benefits of the family of God. It's amazing. It's amazing. It really is. Helps me come to communion with fresh heart, fresh hope. So when we read says they broke bread from they broke bread. It, most Bible scholars would say, into that background and into this backdrop, the early church would have had a meal. They would have been going and having meals together. And during the meal, a proper banquet, full-on meal, folks. And during a full-on meal, as we've been discussing, they would have then remembered the body broken, the blood poured out. They would have looked back, look up, and look forward. And so into the midst of their meal, and so this became what they called the love feast, the breaking of bread. Some people later termed it the Lord's Supper. We now, perhaps, people call it communion. As the church grew... What happened then, you say, because we don't have a meal like that now. Well, you know, we do it quite differently. Well, as time went by and as the church grew, and as you can appreciate now for us to try and have that type, similar type of meal, you know, every week or every time together, even now, logistically, there's four points around the auditorium. We've set it out in arcs so that we can be more taking it together so you can actually see somebody in front of you. So we're going to move in a moment or two to take communion together. And the idea is we've set this out so that we can try and be a bit more fellowship-based, more of an opportunity to be around some others. And we're going to talk about that in a moment, the practicalities. But you can imagine, logistically, it became quite a tall order for the church to actually... So the meal began to fall away and a more symbolic meal began to take its place. Just as valuable, but there's a danger that we can lose the heart if we're not careful of what the meal was all about. Um, and so a more symbolic meal maybe took its place, you know, smaller cups, a little bit of bread, administered by a person, the vicar, the priest, the minister, or something like that, whereby really what it was, it was a meal for the body. We don't take it flippantly, but it was a meal for the whole body to be taken by the body for the body. But as time went by, logistically, it meant that it had to be refined and done in a way that could meet every need of the the general larger group. And also, the church wanted to, as time went by, make sure that it wasn't abused. It wasn't taken in a way that wasn't right. And so it began to be more and more done through the minister or the priest. But in those early days, it was for the body, by the body, 
with the body, probably in homes from house to house during a course of a meal whenever they had a meal together. Meals, fellowship is so important. You know, meals and fellowship, and meals today is just as important. It's one of the biggest things uh, that sells today. Food, recipes, restaurants, dining out. Some of the biggest TV programs like, are things like Come Dine With Me. The idea, you know, these, it, it, you know Master Chef and, and Ready Steady Cook. And that was going back a little bit, perhaps. But <laughs> is that daytime TV? I don't do daytime TV, but I remembered it from somewhere. But these type of things... Yeah, um, on popular TV, but the meal, you know, the, the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper, the banquet in heaven. Jesus wants to come and dine with us in the book of Revelation. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens a door, I will come in and we'll eat with him and we will eat together. It, it, it's amazing. And so Jesus gives us this great meal to remember him, but join with each other as well. Because we're family, family of God. So we remember him and join with him. And in that remembering and joining with him, we also join with each other as a family. It's not something that we take individually and stand before God, but we also take corporately and take together. Let's take communion, looking back, looking up, and looking forward. Let's take communion with Christ. Let's take communion with each other. Let's break bread together. And that's what we're going to do right now. We're going to seek to do that right this moment. We're going to pray together first of all. I'm going to explain a few things. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you gave your one and only son for us to take our place. He is our lamb, the lamb that was slain. We look back and say, thank you that you died in my place, Lord Jesus. But we say, thank you that we look up and say, thank you that you're alive today. And I can be alive in you right now. And we look forward to you returning for us as well. And as we take this bread and take this cup, we take it seriously and lovingly, thoughtfully, and with open hearts of gratitude and great love. We take it as an individual but also as a family, the family of God. And we are joined to you, Lord Jesus, Father God, Holy Spirit, and also joined to each other. And we pray that this sense of fellowship, this joining, this communion, this union with you can be transferred also to each other. And as we reach out to you and you reach out to us, we pray that we can reach out to each other and the world around us as well. And so we say thank you that you're here, Lord. And as we take this communion together, we honor you and thank you and say that we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.